0: (laughs) That's so stupid. Good morning, local peacemakers and loyal rumblers. It is Wednesday, August 24, 2022. A great day for our future. We have 3,019 days left until Thanksgiving Day 2030. As you know, we start our shows with uh, emails from our anonymous confessional. Remember, I'm not really a minister, just another host of an entertainment show running on the best platform for peace. With that in mind, let's see what you sent me. ARE YOU SAYING WOMEN IN THE SEX INDUSTRY AREN'T MARRIABLE? I disagree! PORN STARS GET MARRIED, TOO. Mostly to other porn stars. Look, you don't know me, so let me explain to you my beliefs on this within a world where only fans exist. Women that aren't models will never be a muse. If you're still mad to recognize that compliment, I'm saying if you have pictures in a medium that exists forever, then you are, or will be, a muse for someone thousands of years from now. Now isn't that cool? That was probably the selling point. Now if you're mad at this point, then you're a person that didn't realize the peace you were giving up. So, I'm here to tell you that it isn't that what you did, or whatever you're in, it's not a relationship death sentence. Because muses can still find marriage. I believe in that. I'm just saying, do your best to be a muse and not a hoe. Now the folks who that do slash did the hardcore stuff, does hardcore stuff make me a hoe? I'm just saying the definition of of a muse is a being that traditionally brings men and women to inspiration. And inspiration is different from climax. The point I'm making now is, Climax is a product of sex. Inspiration is a product of wholesome sex acts. Now the Jesus freaks are, are, are going, Eric, it sounds like you're advocating for the adult industry. All right, look, yes and no. Yes and no. Because industries involve people. And as an entrepreneur and time traveler, I have to believe everyone can win. I'm just not afraid to discuss nuance. And that's what the show is about. We're here to discuss nuance this is, it's the world. Uh, it's the what's it called? It's the world's most functional safe space. We are the Switzerland of the internet. I'm not even sharing your name so that we could, There's like a modicum of um, of privacy and respect for privacy for the people that send us questions. And I hope I answered that. <laughs> walked the line as well as I can, because look, like we're all human here, and I can't, I can't just like I know some some folks think that I'm a I'm a Christian but i i always stop everybody there it, i'm just letting you know like i'm a believer that reads the bible and also is interested in the quran and new Upanishads. i'm in, I'm, I'm just another guy religious uh, interested in religious texts but uh, so far the narrative that i that brings me comfort it has been the good word and i guess from that association now i'm that guy so I, we went, we went forward with this and i'm a time traveling minister from the from the from the website that that offers the that ordains you as a minister so you can marry your gay friends and whatnot, and uh, now we're here. Let's do the YouTube intro. Welcome to World Peace for Free, everyone's favorite audience-generated museum of events until twenty thirty. I'm your time traveling host, and you're in the future. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe so we can be the biggest YouTube channel not part of the ad money program. Welcome to Words of Wealth Wednesday, where we share clips meant for the kids of our kids. Rick, oh. rich roll, talks about failure to uh, talks about his journey from failure to success. No joke, dear time traveling minister. Before you skip this clip, I promise this isn't a Rick roll. This man, uh, the man, no, the man, this man is a plant-based ultra athlete. Blah blah blah. But you gotta hear his story. You always talk about how your experiences bring weight to our words. Rich Roll was 40, alcoholic, and lost friends and even made enemies. Before that, he was a Stanford athlete. What went wrong and how he turned around is why I feel you need to feature him for your Words of Wealth Wednesday show. Please immortalize this clip and creator. Sincerely, Grant Carbrone. (laughs) That was a good one. That made me surprised. All right, let's check out this clip. Nope. Better. This is better, this is better, there we go.
1: Most people, to echo the words of Henry David Thoreau, are, are, are leading lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. And I find that tragic. And so if there's anything that my work is about, it's about helping people become cognizant of that and to take action so that they don't become that person leading a life of quiet desperation, which I think a lot of people are, and, and I find that heartbreaking. You know, what's your major malfunction right now? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Who do you resent the most? What are you afraid of? What do you want to achieve? What's in the, what's in, what do you think is in your way? I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to live your life, but I believe in your greatest expression and I'm gonna hold space for you. I was a daily drinker. I was drinking vodka tonics in the shower in the morning and hiding drinks throughout the day and you know, ending up in blackouts. And, and I burned every bridge that I had. Uh, I was virtually unemployable at the end. I was sleeping on a bare mattress in a crappy apartment with no furniture in it. Uh, my options were had been eliminated. My life was eviscerated. My family didn't want anything to do with me. I'd lost my friendships. I had no way forward. Uh, and I just continued to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. When I was 39 years old, on the cusp of turning 40, I was 50 pounds overweight. I had been an athlete in college, but that was very much in my rear view mirror. It was in my past. I was a junk food addict. I was not taking care of myself physically, mentally, or emotionally. And I had a health scare shortly before my 40th birthday. Yeah, I decided to change my life.
0: Definitely it do didn't do happen, happen overnight
1: on the one hand uh, i love pain i love trying to push the outer edges of the envelope of what the pain experience is in a physical sense Um, and it's also been my greatest teacher in terms of things that I've accomplished, but also um, my errant ways as well. Pain is truly the only thing that's ever gotten me to change. Uh, So it's been my growth accelerator, as well as my reminder of when I've gone astray. I mean, I was a very awkward, insecure kid uh, who had a lot of difficulty. Um, Making friends and and figuring out what the rules for for life were. And I was also somebody who was not athletically inclined at all. Um, I was the kid with the eye patch and the headgear, picked last for kickball and all of that. Uh, But the one thing that I was actually fairly okay at was swimming. And when you're good at something when you're a kid and and you're having difficulty in other areas, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. And and that's what I did. And I learned um, quickly that I was not the most talented swimmer, Um, but in my early teens, I realized that if I was willing to put in the work and do certain things that other people weren't willing to do, that I could bridge that talent gap and pick up a lot of white space. Uh, And that meant getting comfortable with pain, to bring it back to your question. So throughout my teens, I I would routinely throw down crazy sets in the pool that no one was willing to do. And I was doing it because I knew I wasn't the most talented and if I wanted to compete at the highest level, that's what would be required. How did you go in school? You're being bullied at one point. Um, You see this opportunity to get better. What do you start telling yourself or doing to be able to make pain your friend, to push past it, so that you could begin to you know, beat other people at something? So it's almost like a deep meditative state, and it's a very one, you know, one-to-one relationship between the pain that you're willing to suffer and the progress that you're going to make. And I saw swimming as my way forward and my way out. Uh, and so what that meant was, the more that I was willing to suffer, the more likely it would be that I was going to create a positive trajectory out of this painful scenario that I found myself in. I would have a vision board where I'd, I'd literally write those times out in very large block letters with a magic marker and put them above my bed or on my mirror, uh, in my bathroom, and constantly reminding myself and reinforcing myself about why I was doing what I was doing. So. I don't know that I would have called it a vision board at that time. It was more of a practice of of, um, engaging in in aspiration. Like I had pictures of all my heroes and all of that. And I think uh, intuitively, I was looking towards a better life for myself. I was somebody who, who, uh, by the time I was 18 years old, was an individual who had a lot of promise, and there was a lot of people very invested in my future. I was graduate, I graduated top of my class in high school. I got into all the colleges I applied to, all the Ivy Leagues. I was a top-ranked swimmer, um, competing at the very highest level, world rank, the whole deal. Uh, and so my future looked very bright. And then alcohol got introduced to my life, and it was a very progressive uh, decline in my aspirations. And at the very end, I was a daily drinker. I was drinking vodka tonics in the shower in the morning and hiding drinks throughout the day and you know, ending up in blackouts and more than you know, my fair share of incomprehensible, you know, demoralizing situations. Uh, and I burned every bridge that I had. Uh, I was virtually unemployable at the end. I was sleeping on a bare mattress in a crappy apartment with no furniture in it. Uh, my options were had been eliminated. My life was eviscerated. My family didn't want anything to do with me. I'd lost my friendships. I had no way forward, uh, and I just continued to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper until one day I had that moment that you hear with people who are in recovery—that that moment of clarity where I realized I just couldn't live this way any longer. My elevator had, you know, gone down to the bottom floor. And, uh, and, the, and, and I met my pain threshold, you know, back to the, the, this thesis around pain. Like, I had um, reached a point where I could no longer tolerate the pain of my current situation. And the fear, the pain associated with the fear of change was eclipsed by the pain that I was feeling in that moment. And that's what motivated me to change. I went to a treatment center uh, where I lived for 100 days, which is a pretty long time to be in a rehab center. And I did that because I knew if I didn't get this right, that my life was done. You know? And so I took that opportunity seriously. I recognized that despite the fact that I think I'm a smart guy, my best thinking had me uh, literally institutionalized, and, and if I couldn't get a grasp on how to live and develop some new skills and, and a new toolbox for how to approach my life, that um, that I was going to end up in jail or I was going to kill somebody else or myself. Um, I think for me, it's really anchored in awareness and presence. You know, on that staircase, I was able to really understand that I was having an important moment in my life. And the reason I was able to recognize that was because I had that moment so many years prior when I decided to get sober. It was a very specific moment in time where I made a decision and that decision set in motion a series of events that changed my life so completely that I couldn't imagine my life had I not made that decision. Um, and I was able to see and understand and recognize that once again I was being visited by just such an opportunity. It was something that I could feel inside of me. And, and I think it's because i would learned to be present, to be aware of myself and my environment. Um, and one thing I always talk about is the fact that you know, I, I'm not anything special with this. I think we're all visited with moments like this in our life, that if we could develop that, uh, the wherewithal to have the awareness around the circumstances surrounding whatever event it is that you can leverage that crack, you know, in the door to make some significant changes. Um, and I'm somebody who, and I've heard you talk about this before. I'm somebody who, who, when I make a decision, like that's it. You know, I can I can step over that line or walk through that door and not look back. Like I can be determined, be focused enough, and diligent enough, and dedicated enough to leverage those moments when I make that decision to really make significant changes that that stick and stand the test of time. I mean, for me, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, it's about making a decision. When I make a decision, that decision is done. I've done it with diet, I've done it with fitness, I've done it with my profession. And the more simple I can make it, then the easier it is to adhere.
0: How do you become that, that person? How do you become the person that says, oh, I'm going to do this, and then you just do it? There's nothing in the middle. There's no, oh, but let me let me turn on the AC before I do this, or let me put on some music before I do it. No, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get it done. How do we get to that point? This gentleman is in, in his 40s, and he's plant-based, and he's the most... top 25 most fittest men in the world and he's talking about how he was going he went from going from drinking every day drinking vodka tonics in the shower to get going addicted to junk food and then now look at him here He look his skin looks great he's in his 40s goodness gracious i gotta start making changes now but the point here and also what we were talking about with uh with uh with what happened on my, the clip on My Mentality Monday with David Goggins is meeting that governor in your brain that tells you, "Oh, you're going through pain right now. You should, you should, you should stop. You should slow down." Meeting that governor and say, "No, I am control of my body. You are not in control of this body. That governor is a friend. It does keep you from getting hurt. At the same time." There was a point where I feel I've only recognized this when I was a personal trainer every day and 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 seeing everybody around me getting super motivated. But remember, the, this guy does it professionally, and he he takes the Stanford approach. To it. I don't know if you caught that, but he's a he was an athlete from Stanford, uh, big school. Long story short, he's that uh, that uh, that governor. He's he's talking about how he's able to control that governor in his head. And I know we, we don't talk about, oh, we do our best not to interrupt the, these clips here, but I just wanted to share that.
1: Uh, you know, we're so conditioned to, to avoid pain. Every message that we see, every billboard we see, every advertisement that we're exposed to is telling us that happiness can be, can be purchased through comfort, through luxury, through ease. Um, and that's sort of implicit in that is that that's how we find happiness. And I can tell you that I'm happiest and most alive when I'm butting up against the outer edges of my pain threshold, and I'm not afraid of it. Uh, and so when I start to feel that sensation, rather than shirk away from it, I realize that's an opportunity to um, experience uh, a heightened sense of myself and my environment, to, to really um, be in a position where everything else falls away and it's just you and your ability to take one step forward. There's a purity to that, that again is another great teacher. And so in terms of techniques, Um, I just learned through experience that, just like David Goggin says, when the signals that you're receiving are telling you to stop, that you don't necessarily have to pay attention to that, that that you are capable of so much more uh, if you can develop the acuity, the presence of mind, and the wherewithal to then take that next step, and when you're on the other side of it, to realize you're still okay, and you can take another step, and a whole your, your horizon extends, and you realize that there's a whole world of potential and possibility available to you that you weren't previously aware of. Uh, no, I definitely didn't. I've been a corporate lawyer for many years. I was a corporate lawyer during the period of time that I wrote that book. Uh, and the book was successful. And yet, in the wake of that book being published and doing well, um, the thumb didn't ring. And I had uh, let my bar, bar membership lapse. And here I was, <laughs> ready and available to speak to the world and, and uh, be of service. And the opportunities just weren't flowing. It was a very difficult time. And it, it tested me um, to my core. I mean, we almost lost our house. I had cars repossessed. We couldn't bear bills. It was very emasculating. But I think the the alchemy of going through that has, and something that now allows me to speak from a place of, of, of greater truth and depth what I did. So I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. The part that really hit me was when you said that you guys couldn't even pay for your trash to <laughs> be taken away, and they can, that's when I realized, okay, wait, this wasn't like a, oh things are tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was like we can't pay $60 for our garbage to be picked up. It was the worst. It's yeah. so embarrassing. It, 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 it was so incredibly emasculating. Yeah, we went through periods where we literally barely had enough money to put food on the table, and we couldn't pay. Our, we couldn't pay to have our our trash removed, and they did. They came and we took the bins, and then we were compelled to then put our trash in the back of our crappy, uh, beat up minivan and find an empty dumpster to to, to, dump, the, to dump the garbage. It was, it was not easy. Man. So I have four kids and it's something that was very challenging as a parent. And again, I keep using the word emasculating as somebody who, who you know, is supposed to be the head of household and, and take care of these sorts of things to be unable to do that. Uh, was incredibly difficult. I worked my ass off and exploited every opportunity that presented itself. Uh, I did a ton of speaking gigs for free. I did anything that was asked of me, anyone who would want to talk to me. But it was really just a function of showing up, working my ass off, saying yes and having a strong core belief that I was on the right path. I was somebody who, who for as long as I could remember, was pursuing the traditional notion of the American dream. Get into the best college, study hard, get into the best grad school, get the best job, shop early, stay late, partnership track all of that, right? But that I'd never really stopped to think, what is important to me? Like, who am I? And like, what am I here to express? And I didn't have answers for those questions. All I knew was that I felt like I was living someone else's life. And so my exploration in sobriety and ultimately then in ultra-endurance sports was really my personal method of trying to resolve these issues for myself to try to learn who I am. You know, one thing you talk about all the time is goals, setting goals, and being very clear about what those goals are. I think that that most people set the wrong goals for themselves, and it's because they're disconnected from who they are. They are living someone else's life, or they're living a life that's so disconnected from who they are, it becomes very difficult to set the right goals. So I think in order to reconcile that, you have to look inward. And that can be different for everybody. That can mean a consistent meditation practice. That can mean therapy. That can mean, uh, you know, starting to do yoga. It can mean many, many things. But...
0: The reason why I think this his story is really important is because I've seen I've like I, when I was growing up in journalism, I, I was tasked to make a, an audio documentary, and the subject matter I chose was the path to recovery, and I'll never forget it. Those those time, uh, I'll never forget it because I I was able to go to these meetings, and you know the Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not an alcoholic. I don't call uh, consider myself an addict. I just uh, I just needed. A, I was just a journalist trying to get get a story there, and the thing that you notice is people. When people drink, they do it to become a second person. And what he's trying to talk about right now is when people uh, is that moment where you become whole again. Drinking kind of separates you from who you are, and what he's talking about is finding yourself again through means of therapy. See, I'm not, I'm not against therapy. There, I feel like there's always, there's always paths to feeling whole again. And uh, thank you very much for sending this clip. I really appreciate his story, thank you.
1: I think there's no uh, end run around the very difficult, long process of really trying to be honest with yourself about who you are, what's important to you, what you care about, and then beginning to breathe life into those things as frivolous as they may seem, to bring expression to the things that, that you do care about, that, that, that get you excited in the morning. And that doesn't mean you quit your job tomorrow, but the more you can uh, foster something that has personal importance to you, uh, I think that's the first step in trying to uh, move past whatever it is that's holding you back, whether it's professionally or, or personally, uh, to being a more integrated, authentic version of yourself. We're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And I don't mean that in any specific dogmatic sense, certainly not in any specific religious sense, but i do what i do mean by that is that uh, there's more to this experience of being human than meets the eye there's more to it than we can possibly comprehend uh, and i think there are energies available to us if we open our perspective and become more curious about the world than i think we're programmed to be so for me that doesn't i don't define that by any particular uh, specific spiritual approach other than that it provides my experience as a human being with a little bit more awe and wonder than I used to have. You know, as somebody who, as I explained earlier, as a young person, I did the math and I realized if I outwork everybody in the pool, uh, I can be as good as anyone else. If I outwork everyone in the classroom, I can graduate at the top of my class and get into Stanford and Harvard. And so my worldview was informed through the prism of those experiences, which taught me self-reliance is everything. Don't, uh, don't expect anybody to do anything for you. I'm the only one who can get it done. And if you just buckle down and go the extra mile, you will solve the problem and you will make your way in the world. Every success that i had in my life was a result of my self-will why won't myself will solve this problem? And that whole got deeper and deeper and deeper until I was a completely broken human being. And I had to raise my hand and ask for help for the first time. And that forced me to start to think about letting go and surrender in a new way. And I've come to believe and understand that surrender is a very powerful, courageous thing to do. It's okay to say you don't know, it's okay to ask for help. I had to let go of this operating system and step into uh, a sense that perhaps there's a better way, a greater way that involves me saying, I can't control this, which was terrifying for me. But it is in that process that I allowed people to help me, that I became open to a new way of approaching my life that has made me stronger, more powerful, more capable and more successful than I ever thought that I ever would be. It goes back to what I was saying before about people picking the wrong goals for themselves because they're not integrated. They don't know what their values are. They're not clear on what's important to them. They're not really in contact with their internal muse.
0: Internal Muse, picking the right goals that are connected to you, not disconnected. I really like this. I want to see it. I I want to check out this guy's book now. You know, one of the examples I always give is this idea that
1: we all have some unique song here to sing on planet Earth. Like, I I believe that. And that doesn't mean that everybody can be LeBron James or that you have some insane talent. But I believe that there is a unique blueprint to every individual. And our job here, uh, you know, in our short time on this planet is to discover what that is and to work towards expressing that to the best of your ability. You know, we all have a unique song. And I think most people, to echo the words of Henry David Thoreau, are, are leading lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. And I find that tragic. And so if there's anything that, uh, that, that my work is about, it's about helping people become cognizant of that and to take action so that they don't become that person leading a life of quiet desperation, which I think, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't wanna say most people, but a lot of people are, and, and I find that heartbreaking. If you're if you're eating garbage food if you're eating fast food and you're not sleeping and you're you know drinking five cups of coffee a day or whatever it is you're doing and you're stressed out about your job and you're just living moment to moment to get through the day do you think that you're going to be in touch with whatever is really important to you you're just trying to like you know hit the pillow at night and pay the bills and that's most people and if you give people a minute to pause and reflect and you can clear all of that out and feed them healthy food and give them a good night's rest and ask them questions that most people aren't asking them, and they're certainly not asking them themselves. I think that's the process that begins, or sets in motion, the the gears in the mind and in the emotional
0: body to begin. Yeah. I, I The people that changed my life are the people that are the ones that, are, that were gutsy enough to ask me questions I'm never usually asked. Like, what is it that I want to do before I die? Like, hard questions like that. You don't get that sometimes. People, uh, like in Dave, the David Goggins clip that he talked about there, you like the people that, that, uh, that tell you, no, no, it's okay, you're tired right now, you can rest, you should rest. People tend to like those people, but you're, um, there's something to be said about folks that, that will get in your face if you're, if you're not performing the way that they believe that you, they know you can, you know? And to bring all of that to the surface.
1: You know, what's your major malfunction right now? What's the
0: thing that keeps you up at night?
1: Who do you resent the most? What are you afraid of? What do you want to achieve? What's in, what's in, what do you think is in your way? You know, I think just by asking people questions and, 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 and then holding a vision for that better life for them to say, I believe in you. I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to live your life, but I believe in your greatest expression and I'm gonna hold space for you. To give people permission to be honest, to be vulnerable. We're so afraid of being vulnerable. We're terrified of being honest. We're so used to being judged to being held to a standard that society sets for us that we don't give ourselves permission to even ask these questions, let alone answer them. I would like to move the needle in a substantial and long-lasting way for as many people as possible with respect to not only how they think about and practice habits around food and fitness and lifestyle, but to really catalyze people to understand that, like I said earlier, all of us, every single one of us, is capable of so much more than we allow ourselves to believe. And I know that's a theme on your show. David Goggins talked about it. James Lawrence talked about it. These are friends of mine who have touched the outer realms of endurance, and ultra-endurance teaches you that. It's easy to say I'm an outlier, but I'm not. I really am not anything special. I had the courage and the audacity to pursue these things, and in so doing, I have realized that human potential is malleable. We're all sitting atop massive reservoirs of untapped Whoa. potential for Two, My 2.10 to 160, this guy people to not only understand that but connect with that and begin to practice that to manifest that in their own specific
0: way for those of you that are interested in checking out this video this video was made by the mulligan brothers and their channel and they have 1.5 million subscribers this video was released november 3 2018 and has at so far at the time of filming this 600 views There was a lot to go over. That was a 23-minute clip. The main thing that sticks with me is what can you accomplish when you're willing to work? If you're willing to suffer, what can you get? He engaged in an aspiration exercise, talking about that vision board and seeing. And when he realizes, when he realized, if I just outperform everybody, I could be number one. And eventually, he discusses how that goal was actually disingenuous for him. Now, we talk about a lot about trying to create an environment, a distractionless environment for the kids of our kids, so they know what they the path, the path they choose is is the one from them, made for them. Because right now we're uh, I I remember having I remember the statistic in uh, this this exercise or slash study that we had to to look up to research during um during my days in CSUN where where uh, in communications where we had to. We had to see oh, it was talking about how wh- if we live in a world of which is, who's going to be happier, the people with a lot of options, the people without a lot of options, where it's a trick question, but that's a trick question because technically, when you're introduced with a lot of options, the big anxiety that kids have these days is, what if I choose the wrong option? and that that does something to us. And we're here in this world experiencing that now, seeing where where we could go with this. So, all I gotta say is when these moments that they visit that he talks about, these moments where you're visited by this crossroads of where your life is, can you make the right decision? This is the reason why we have Words of Wealth Wednesday, so we could talk to people, so not talk to people, so we can immortalize clips of 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 life changing content. And sure, you could say that this one story is amongst many self cha- self uh, self help stories, but we're able to share them now. What's up with the jaded what's up with the, your jaded perspective knowing that um, that there's always going to be a new self-help story. Maybe that's the reason why you're not getting what you want. Who knows? But really I'm really thankful for you sending me this clip. My eyes were open, and there's some things that I'm definitely going to be using in my life, especially when I uh, just recently got a scale that'll measure body fat and whatnot, because i I, I got to lose this pandem- these pandemic pounds. is crazy. Well, there goes my attention for reflection here in the age of retrospection. If you saw an ad, then there's skullduggery afoot, because we refuse YouTube ad money. Please subscribe so we can be the biggest YouTube channel not part of the ad money program. Remember, you are loved, missed, and thought about every day. Take care, future people.